0: Opening to the book of Ephesians
1: in chapter 5, and once again, I want to encourage everybody to be in the Scripture. We're continuing a series through the book of Ephesians, going right out of the Bible. I won't be jumping around to different verses in Scripture. Everything that I'm going to be talking about today is right here in Ephesians chapter 5. So we are on the second part. You can bring me down just a little bit. We are on the, uh, the second part of chapter 5, and we'll be bringing this series to a close soon after Jimmy Dooley comes, and um, we'll be in Ephesians 6 as, we fin- as Thanksgiving comes to pass and we begin the Christmas season. Um, but today, if, you've, if you, uh, what Joe spoke of, if you heard what uh, Cheryl sh- shared with you, today we will be talking about marriage. The funny thing is, it's been five, five years here, I don't believe that I've spoken too much about marriage, I've, I've, I've talked about it in pockets of sermons, but I don't know that I've devoted whole messages to it. Um, we did laugh your, a Laugh Your Way to a Better Marriage conference a few years ago and had a great time with that. And I feel, feel like a lot of fruit came out of that as well. But be honest with you, as I stand up here, it's kind of a, um, a hard thing, a little bit of a hard thing for me to talk about or feel qualified to talk about. Um, I've been married for 13 years, and look, this, this might come as a, as a shock to, to all of you, um, I, I know that it won't, but I don't have a perfect marriage, okay? And uh, so, uh, 13 years and I don't have a perfect marriage. Um, and there's many of you here who have been married a lot longer than I have that have a lot that you can teach me and a lot of things that I can glean from. Um, w- so, we're all in this together. But also in this congregation, there's some who have been widowed, there are some who have been divorced. And and sometimes even when we bring this topic up, I I wonder what your feelings are when you consider marriage. And so I want us to be really clear when we begin a message on something like this. First of all, there's not a single one of us in this room that has a perfect marriage or had a perfect marriage. Second of all, Dog noggin, we are the church of Jesus Christ. There is not anything, any topic that we don't talk about. This is a place where we bring things out in the open. And interact about the most important things in this world and bring life to these topics. We're all we all need to allow conviction to happen and realize that every one of us in this room needs to grow. Those of you who have been married for years, uh, for when I say, say 40s, 50 years, we need you. We need your wisdom. We need you to share with others what has been impactful for you, what has kept you together for so many years. So I hope that today's message does nothing. If, if anything else begins a conversation where we learn to foster and encourage each other in their marriages, this is incredibly important. If you've never heard some of the statistics and what is taking place all across our world today, in, in in many ways it is is very devastating. Um, Barna is always a place, the source to get your to get your statistics. And now, across this world, um, one third of people who have been married have experienced divorce. That means that that among Americans 18 years of age or older, whether they have been married or not, 25% have gone through a marital split. That also says the statistics also say that more Christians get married than people. 78% of people that claim to be Christians. Um, excuse me, 84% of people who claim to be Christians have got married. And those statistics are smaller for people that don't really have a testimony or a faith in God. But um, the statistic that I thought was kind of interesting, and this doesn't say too much because I don't like to categorize um, Christians as much, but out of the highest divorce rate in all of the different panels here, this, this first was just interesting. I don't, even, I don't have answers for this one, but this is just a stat, and it's true. It said that Asian Christians had the best rate at only 20%, Asian Christians. They have a higher value of family. Um, there's, there's other different elements in their tradition, uh, Confucianism and things like that, but all I know is that Asian Christians, the stats say Asian Christians have the highest rate at 20%. Now, the rest, with the exception of one other category, fit the rest of the world. In other words, what I'm trying to say, the church is not that much distinct than the rest of the world. People who claim to be Christians is still about a one-third divorce rate. There is one small exception, and that was under the category of evangelical Christians. That category dropped to about a 25% rate. Now, whether you claim to be an evangelical Christian or not, what that typically means, the best way to describe that is a very high view of Scripture. Um, Believing the Bible for what it says and taking it with a high authority. So Christian, Christian churches, people that claim scripture is a high, high authority, a high source of value for their life, there is a lower rate there. So what I'm trying to say, church, with all of these statistics that you have to recognize is that we are the solution. We are the church of Jesus Christ. We, we must see ourselves as part of this solution today. And that begins with our interactions with each other. How we empower and foster our current marriages, and those that are those that are going to be getting married someday. Those are in marriages that are struggling. Um, those are that are still trying to recover from experiences in the f- past. We are the church of Jesus Christ, and we are supposed to talk about these things. We are supposed to nurture these marriages. We are supposed to lift them up and empower them. And so today, I feel like some of uh, the message today is a bit of a cut and paste, and I'm going to be in and many different uh, sections and just some, some things that, that I've gleaned from, from, from the past. But I'm going to hit on three elements as we go through. I call this that, that marriage is the most spiritual thing you will ever do. And I say that because it is Jesus' favorite parallel to talk about. He uses the father and son pretty often, but more than the father and son, he likes to use bride and groom. He is the bride, and I mean, he is the groom, and we are his bride, his church. And so, I want to talk, first of all, about how marriage is a mystery. I didn't, uh, I had a hard time with this one when I was first married. Um, I did this thing where this element of mystery is that yours is going to look like nobody else's. Your personalities that with a makeup that is, that's going to make your marriage is going to look different than anybody else's. I had a hard time with this. Mandy and I actually went to a marriage encounter within about three years of, of our marriage. Um, we did spend like a whole weekend together. And I, I wouldn't say that, um, you know, we were having a lot of trouble or anything. But it was definitely something where I was like really burdened. I was burdened because I wanted our marriage to be perfect. And to be honest, I wanted it to look like other people's. I wanted it to look like other ministry couples, and I realized that, wait a second, you're putting unreasonable, unfair expectations on what your marriage should look like. So the one thing that you can't do outright, although you can glean from couples who have been married for many years, you cannot get stuck in this comparison game of always comparing yourself, your relationship with you and your wife, to, to someone else, someone else's relationship. And so Ephesians five thirty one through 32 reveals this to us. It says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. So here we see this parallel is an incredibly spiritual parallel. And something that I I share pretty often in marriage counseling, that is something that premarital counseling, that is something that we all have to come to understand, that when two people come together, there is this leaving behind. Leaving behind. You you have two people who have been raised in in, in one family, and their family has taught them this, this way. And you have another party who has been raised in this family, and their family has taught them this, this way. And now you're going to come together and you're going to, first of all, have this tension. It's like, wait a second, that's not the way we did it in my home. Wait a second, that's not the way we did it in my home. That's not the way my dad treated my mom. That's not the way my mom treated my dad. And if we do this all the time and we think we've already had a mold, this is what a family should look like. This is what a relationship look, could, should look like. There will, although there's many things we can glean from, there can be conflicts there. And so there is this element of leaving behind and beginning this new relationship. Yes, the new, most important relationship you will have with anyone else on this planet except your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Yes, even more important than your relationship with your kids. Because this one will be foundational to everything that you will set, that that will be a platform for everything else that your family will set off and out to do. And so... Because that is so important, this would sound, I, I, I'm going to have to pick on the grandparents just for a minute, okay? This would sound a lot better coming out of someone who is 60-some years old and is a grandparent, but hey, I'm all you got, okay? So here is, here's this thing we have to, to learn to understand, is that we have to learn to, uh, oh, I just want to put it this way real clearly. Grandma and grandpa in-laws, we have to learn how to show our kids how to love and let them learn to love each other there's going to be this temptation when your family comes and they come to come in and talk about their spouse and it could happen in a negative way or you could begin to make some assumptions about some things that are going on with your spouse in a negative way. And the next thing to do is, well, he shouldn't be doing that. Well, she shouldn't be saying that about you. And have all this long list of expectations of how that other person should be treating your son or your daughter. But here's the challenge with that. Is that now you're, you're creating a divide. You're, you're, caught, you're creating a fence now in that relationship. And see, the truth is that we need to be people and couples who will, who will learn to foster those relationships, learn to empower them. And so I, I even came up with a few questions. Here's some things that, that you could even ask and consider. What, when is the last time, here's some, some great questions for your son or for your daughter. When is the last time you and your spouse had a date night? When is the two, when, when, when do the two of you have your regular time together at home? When is the last time that you told your spouse how much you love them? When is the last time that you've served your spouse in such a way that it surprised them? And here's a pretty important question, grandma and grandpa, mom and dad, even people, those that are preparing your young men and young women to be married someday. When will or when do you and your spouse pray together? See, there's so many opportunities that you get every day to foster this relationship, and that's what I want to see us as a church. But we have to recognize that it is a mystery. It will not look like yours. There will be a lot of similarities because you raised this young man and you raised this young woman. But there will be some elements that will be different. That might be even strange to you. But we have to allow this mystery, this incredibly powerful mystery to happen. I am. Um, I wondered where, uh, and the, the, the important thing is that we can glean from, from anyone, and, and we're not to compare ourselves for, to, to, to anyone, but I want to share a story um, that I actually just wrote in the, the title of a, of a thesis project that, I've, that, I've, that I'm working on um, that just really exemplified things and how this is such a mystery and a great parallel to Christ. About four months ago, four or five months ago, I went up to, uh, or four or five years ago, I went up to see an old friend and spent some time with him in the Cleveland or the Akron area. It was a buddy of mine from high school. I hadn't been with him, I hadn't seen him in years. And he was just been married a couple years longer than I had. And in that short time when I was there, um, I was blown away how this is right in front of me. He gives his wife a kiss on the forehead. He brags about how amazing this woman is to him. And then um, I think that that might just be it. You know, he was just kind of showing off a little bit. And we go to lunch together. It's just me and him. And as he's telling his life story, he can't quit talking about his wife. He can't quit affirming his wife. And then we go back home, and it's still happening. She's actually trying to get chores done while we got a, she's got a guest in the home. And he's finding ways to help her and interact with me at the same time and looking for opportunities to serve. And this was so kind of such a key thing for me because I realized he gave, when I was still young in my marriage, he gave me Permission to love my wife out loud—that—that that this is something that that you can do, something that and that communicates—and that's one thing that it gave me permission to do. I realized this is this isn't odd. I mean, it was it caught me by surprise, but there was something true, there was something pure and powerful by what he was doing right in front of me. And then the reason I write about this in the thesis is because, as a Christ follower, as pastors. This is exactly what we look for in in our congregation and people that choose to follow Christ. What, that they love their wives out loud? Well, sure. But more importantly, that there is a living, active relationship with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That that will come out of you at some times. There will be evidence of this relationship. There will be some things that you're going to communicate to others of how much you love God and what he is doing in your life. That's where it begins to be a testimony and a parallel, the greatest parallel. Um, Our our relationships and our marriages are a great parallel of Christ in the church. So next, I want to talk to you about how marriage is a pursuit. Marriage is a pursuit. Now, every movie, every love story movie perhaps you've ever seen, when does that, at what point in the life does that movie usually end? It oftentimes ends with marriage. The story's over. They live happily ever after. Um, but we all know that that's not incredibly true. Really, marriage is always meant to be a beginning, not an end of anything. It's meant to be the beginning of a pursuit Two people pursuing each other, continuing to pursue each other, just like they pursued each other before marriage. Now, it says um, the sad thing, the saddest thing that that I can watch and I witness this often is when I see two people who have stopped pursuing each other. I mean, I don't have to describe that to you. I think you know what I mean. They've just kind of come to terms that this is all we are. This is all we've ever going to be. We're just going to kind of keep doing things the way we always have. say, so Hebrew, there's, we use we have like one word for love in, in, in the English language, and it means everything. We love Jesus, and we love pizza. So there's no distinguishing. But in Hebrew, there was like three words. There's a, there's a word called do. There's a word called raya. There's a word called ahava. And the ahava, that's that commitment You see that. You can see that in people that have been married for 40, 40 to 50 years. They, 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 they have this eternal commitment to one another. They're going to stick through it thin and thick. Okay? We understand that element. But there's also this raya, which is, means like this friendship. They actually really like each other still. You can see the illuminated. They get joy when they talk about each other. They enjoy spending time with one another. And, and then there's, of course, the dode. And the dode is, of course, the sexual, the erotic, that that other intimate connection that we are called to have. Which, for the record, I'm not going to talk a lot about today, so don't worry about that. But there's all three of those elements. You got the dode, the sexual, the raya, the friendship, and the ahava, the eternal, never ending commitment. And all of these flames were meant to work together. And sometimes we see elements of just one of those, but the purpose of what I'm trying to tell you is that all of these pursuits. This love must continue to grow. We must continue to pursue each other. In the Ephesians passage that we're studying, a key and incredibly important passage is is right here in verse 33. It says, however, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. I'm going to say that again. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So we have this simple concept of love and respect. Now, there's conferences, there's people that have done these long conferences on all of this before. Um, so I'm going to just going to give it to you real quickly and, and real simply. Well, we'll start first with the ladies. Um, Mandy and I we've been doing this. We do this we've done some of these marriage devotions in the morning recently. And something came across that I thought was hilarious. It says, um, "Ladies, first I want to tell you that the men still—what may surprise you if you haven't heard this yet—what they even want more than L O V E love is respect. That feeling of accomplishment. They want to still know that they are your—they are your hero. I know it sounds weird, ladies, doesn't it? it? Sounds like we're incredibly arrogant, and it's true we are. Actually, it says in, in the study that we were doing, it talks about." We talked about football helmets in this devotion we were doing, how the guys still want stickers on their helmets. We still want you to give us stickers every once in a while. Tell us what we've accomplished. Tell us what what we're good at. Remind us that you still love us. And if it was popular and common in our culture, you better believe it. We'd still be wearing football helmets with our stickers on them every day of the week. But instead, we have some things that are a little different. We do that with our trucks, Right? We do that, <laughs> I see Nick lifting up his hand back there, we do that, um, we do that with our houses sometimes, with some of the projects that we do around our houses, with the things that we renovate, um, we do that with fitness sometimes, guys that still continue to work out and try to make their muscles as big as they can, we do that with our motorbikes, we, we do that with our guns, yes, we still have our way of showing our stickers, and so ladies, uh ultimately, at the end of the day, even when it's something as simple as changing a light bulb, I'm so glad you changed that light bulb, honey. Nobody can change a light bulb better than you. Um, sometimes that's all that they're looking for. But I want you to understand how this works to your advantage. Because there's in, this incredibly awkward piece of scripture at the beginning of Ephesians that talks about submission, And any time a woman reads that beginning in Ephesians 6, it's always like it gets silent in the root. I mean, Ephesians 5.22, it's like it gets silent where I said, Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. And everybody in this almost wants us just that that just passage is no longer relevant. It doesn't make sense. We can't talk about it. We're going to offend women if we talk about that passage. Once again, come on. We are the church of Jesus Christ. And it says the people that that have a higher view of scripture have a higher view of marriage as well. And I want to tell you, here's how this passage works for you. Best way I could come up for, for this is this. Let's say you're making a very important decision in your life. Let's say when it gets down to it, you don't actually agree. Perhaps you would rather make another choice than what your spouse wants to. But at the end of the day, you come out with these words. You know what? I trust you. I trust you with what is next. I remember my wife would tell you that I'm not a very good driver, okay? But I remember the best driving that I ever did was the day that I pulled out of the hospital with two little girls in the back of my van. I wasn't just a dad of one kid now, I was a dad of two. And for the first time in, you know, 10 plus years, I actually remembered stuff from driving school. As I'm getting in my car, I'm doing the 10 and 2. I'm thinking that my driving teacher said something about how, hey, when you make a turn, look way down the road to see what's coming next and about the exact timing of what point you should turn on your turn signal. I'm remembering all those things as I'm getting in that car with those two little kids and beginning a new life as a parent together. Ladies, I gave you that illustration because every time you affirm your husband with something big like that, they don't get in the mode where they want to want to go out and drive donuts in the parking lot. They're 10 and 2. This matters to them. They realize that you are in this boat with them now and that they have this great responsibility of this family and you. That is what your affirmation does for them. It reminds them that they're in the driver's seat. It reminds them that that you are in this with them, not in conflict with them. Ladies, you have no idea the power of your affirmation. See, I have not met a single man man yet that does not appreciate accolades and stickers on their helmets. But you must know that the affirmation that they want the most is from you. Every time you tell them good job, every time you, you remind them of how great they are, for guys, it's like that battle scene in the Braveheart movie where he doesn't even need to say any words. They just won the battle. He's got blood all over his face and he just sticks up and makes this sound. That's what it feels like with your affirmation. Now, the cause that we keep pursuing each other, we keep yearning for each other. And ladies, I've shared with you how you continue to pursue your husband. So now as I transition to another topic, I'm still going to talk about pursuit. What I want to talk about how and talk to the men, I want to talk about how marriage is spiritual. I've already shared with you how this is the most important decision that you will ever make. And but there's this weird part, this most spiritual uh, decision you will ever make. But verse 26, I want you to look at verse 25 and 26. It says, husband's. Love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. I wonder how many guys have actually read that passage And been able to make some quick uh, connection of application as to what that means. I know I didn't. It didn't make sense to me the first. How how does this apply to my relationship with my wife? We're supposed to take showers together? What what the heck is this? Washing with water in the word? This makes no sense at all. But here's this parallel thing that happens in the book of Hosea. If you've ever read the prophet Hosea, there's something really interesting that happens. The Lord calls uh, Hosea to go to an unfaithful wife, to take her as his wife. And she has a history of being unfaithful, and he begins a relationship with her. And you know what happens? You know what that woman does in this new relationship with Hosea? She's unfaithful to him. And the Lord says, I want you to go back to this unfaithful spouse and pursue her again. And here's what's happening here, is the Lord is trying, as, as Hosea is the Lord's prophet... The Lord is trying to get in Hosea the heart of him who who continues to reach out to Israel and unfaithful people that time and time again they choose other gods or they choose to be disobedient. But there's also this parallel of this idea that here is this woman who has been damaged by the world, who has continued to make decisions, and he finds her vulnerable and naked, and his call is to purify her, to bring her back in. To love her. And this is, a, this is the same parallel that we need to understand. There is just this simple... Their, their feelings, their, uh, ladies' feelings and ladies' emotions are different than guys'. Obviously, I don't think I have to sell to you that they're a bit more sensitive. And men, with your words, you have the power to love. You have the power to clean those feelings of, of, of shame. Clean those feelings of change. That whatever the emotion of this world that they have taken on... They need their husband to remind them that everything is going to be all right. They need, to remind, they need their husband to remind them of their beauty. They need, to remind, they need their husband to remind them of how whole they are, what their true identity is, and exactly who they are in Christ. Yes, men, we need to open. You need to open your mouth and express those things. You need to do things beyond that as well and, and opportunities to serve. There's a illustration of how. I always share this in premarital counseling. How you, you have. We, you've guys have always had that moment where you've asked the question, "Honey, what's wrong?" Nothing. You guys, that's never happened to you guys, right? It's you've never experienced that before. And as guys, we want to say, "This is ridiculous! Just tell me what's wrong." But many of you know, if you, some of you here who are, are farmers, some of you are builders, some of you here may even like to work on cars. If, that, if there's something wrong with your car, are you going to sit on the outside and kick the tires, which is kind of what I do, and say, what's wrong with you? <laughs> no. What are you actually going to do? You're going to look into it. You're going to investigate a little bit more. You're going to see why the gas makes that weird sound when you hit it. You're, you're, you're gonna you're gonna see what 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 all these strange things are happening. You're going to dig in and find out. And men, that's exactly what we're called to do in our love towards our wives. And so, I want to conclude with this this one thing. The problem with that scenario, and I've noticed Mandy and I have talked about this a lot. Sometimes is that is that that respect thing for her. Sometimes it's like it's almost like the last thing she wants to do. <laughs> I don't know why. It just is. And sometimes for guys, it's the same way. That love thing, that soft, ooey-gooey love thing, it's like the last thing we want to do. It's kind of weird. It's kind of emasculine for us sometimes. And so I want you to, to, to recognize men. And this is the call that, that God has when he, when he gives us the parallel of the church. He gives us the parallel of Christ and his church. So I want to tell you, we, we, we want to get, guys often want to get everything in this category Um, where we just let us have control. We'll make this work. We'll, We'll make this right. Just let me do what I know is best for us. It doesn't quite work that way because love is sacrifice. The best definition, that's the best English word that we can get for the word love is sacrifice. And so men, I want you to understand when Christ stood before a crowd full of men and women who wanted to kill him even with the gov- when the government administrators could not find a reason. When they were willing to trade off one of the worst criminals for his own, for Christ's execution. Men, I'm going to tell you, I don't think he felt very respected at that moment. Before, even before that, when Christ was whipped with a cat-of-nine-tails, they, they, they continued to pull skin Apart from him, all around them, they watched, and while others watched this spectacle, and many laughed, and others watched with some sadistic view of this torture. I don't think he felt very respected at that moment. When he was nailed to the cross with the power to get off of it, at any point he could have called upon his angels and ended this thing wearing basically nothing but a diaper. Do you think that he felt masculine in that moment? Do you think that he felt respected? Men, we need to understand it was not testosterone that kept Jesus on the cross. It was love. Because men love wins. The spiritual parallel is that when you allow the presence of God within you to bring that to bring out that transformative Agape love. What testosterone has not been able to do to improve your marriage, I promise you, love will. So today, there's so much more that can be said about this, and I haven't even done the slightest bit of justice to Ephesians chapter 5. But um, I hope it begins the discussion. I hope you see yourself in the role as someone who can empower someone else in their marriage. Someone that there's always somebody here that can learn from you. And there's always everybody here in this room that needs to realize that I'm not done pursuing my wife. I'm not done pursuing my husband. And we all have to see ourselves in this role together. So, because I believe that to be true, I want to ask all of you to stand at this time. And Cheryl, I want to ask you if you can, you can go and stand beside Diane over there as well. Those are the three of you. I want to ask everybody to link up with somebody next to them. And, In some context, that's going to have you linked up with your spouse. Russell, why don't you come forward? And Nick, come on forward. We're going to conclude. We're going to hold each other's hands together. I'm going to join you guys down here. Yeah, come on. Come on over here, guys. You can come join us here. Just come on over in the front here. We're going to pray together as the church of Jesus Christ. We're going to pray for the people standing next to us. And the people that will walk in these doors, the people that have begin, that are beginning relationships, that, that are perhaps those that are in struggling relationships, first of all, you have to see yourself as part of the solution. We are here to help each other. And that's what we see all across this world as people continue to wipe their feet. Our culture continues to wipe its feet on marriage. Continue to say that you're not going to make it. Most people don't. Many couples these days don't. It's too hard And we need to be the church of Jesus Christ and speak life into these situations. So uh, I want you to grab the hand of the person next to you and let's pray. Jesus, you're alive. Now, all let's cross this room. We have many different, there are many different people with many feelings and different emotions that arise when we get to this topic. But now in this place, I pray they would find themselves as part of the body of Christ, They are healers. They are empowerers. They have wisdom and conviction that brings out of them that calls for a better way. And now, Lord, I pray that you anoint each and everyone here to be the church of Jesus Christ and be the solution for relationships in America. I pray they would look, those that are married, I pray they would look upon their spouse and ask themselves some honest questions that, Am I still pursuing this man? Am I still pursuing this woman? May, we, may they long to continue to grow deeper in their affection towards each other as is a parallel of our relationship with Christ in this church. And I know there are some here that have been widowed that are still remembering those moments and, and taking steps forward and even longing for those relationships in the past, uh, longing for relationship in the future. And I pray in those moments, they would find you as your, their true source of intimacy, and you would lead them to that next phase or that next step in their life. And for those who are are coming out of relationships that did not go well, I pray they would draw near to you and find you as their true identity. And Lord, help them pick up the pieces that have been broken and make them whole and strong, encouraged, empowered to love, to empower others to love and spread your life across this world. Today, we are your church